Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I sold a TV show to Critical Content, and they bought um, my show, or they optioned my story for a year, and I really thought, like, oh, I'm going to do a TV show, I'm going to get a TV show, and it was, nothing happened, because it was like, you got to meet with writers, and we got to find a showrunner. It was what really um, motivated me to go write and say, next time you're in a room and they say, we got to go find you a writer that's not gonna be acceptable. You are a writer. And so it just made me um, go create multiple ideas for different TV shows so that I can sell instead of just sitting and waiting on that one show. Like, this is the show. There, You don't know what the show is gonna be, you know? You gotta be Whitney and have two broke girls. And that is how you live in Malibu. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Really, really tough day in the world today. And I'd be remiss if I didn't let you know how challenging it is for me and most likely all of you with the passing of Kobe Bryant. Not just a sports figure, not just a father, not just a husband, but somebody whose work ethic permeated throughout his playing days and into entertainment, where recently he just won an Oscar. Just an incredible role model for everyone out there, including me, and I'm a diehard Celtics fan. But there is a hole that has been blown through me and it's going to be a long time to recover from these senseless things that happen in our lives but i guess we move on and we think about what the person above would do if the roles were reversed and i think we along with kobe would if we had one chance to talk to the people 
who were affected by our passing. I'm pretty sure we'd say, as well as Kobe, celebrate my life. Look at the positives and hold those with you. And have a smile on your face when you think about me. And hopefully something I did in my life will inspire you to greater heights. And that's how I'll look at it. But how each one of you looks at it is personal to you. And there's no wrong way of grieving. Anyway, if you need to get a hold of me or want to get a hold of me, you can do so at Barry Katz on Instagram or Twitter or at BarryKatz.com. And if you can somehow feel like you want to listen to an episode today or any time this week, this is the one to listen to. It's part two of Ida Rodriguez. This woman is incredible. And somebody was homeless with her family right before she did Last Comic Standing. A woman who's been kidnapped twice raped once and still kept getting up and fighting back and kept going, kept pushing, kept working hard, no matter what the obstacles. And if you know anything about her and all the things she's done, including the recent movie that Taylor Hackford directed called The Comedian, starring Robert De Niro, which he's in, or the special that Tiffany Haddish put forward with a select few of the most promising and most incredible comedians, you'll know that she figured it out. She moved forward. She created great relationships she put together a string of great performances and now she's on her way to something that's really special and it's great to see and i can guarantee you if you can push forward and deal with so many blows in your life that seem to be insurmountable and knock you down and you can figure out a way to get back up and dust yourself off and move forward and continue the highest level of work and keep raising the bar, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Ida Rodriguez has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now on the air. Harry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. So coming full circle. You're ready. You're about to go on Sunday night at the Comedy Cellar. <laughs> Ooh. Your goal to conquer New York. The cellar being the crown jewel. Yeah. Esty, 35-year veteran of that 
comedy club has seen everyone come through there is essentially the Mitzi Shore of New York City. Yep. What happens? What do you decide to do? I, I hype myself up with this set. I got it written down. I walk into the cellar. Um, William is, God bless his soul, sitting at the table. William Stevenson, who passed away recently. So Will hazed me immediately. He's like, what the fuck you doing here? And I was like, uh, I'm getting ready to go on that stage. <laughs> and he was like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> Keith Robinson is like, Keith is, you know, well, you gotta know Keith to understand. He was like uh, consoling me in advance. <laughs> he was like, so uh, you're probably not gonna get past, but I'm just letting you know, it's all right. That was, that was the, that's what you did to me before I did Shaq. And so, did I? yes, yes. You hyped me up so much before I did Shaq. I went into the green bill belly. When I hyped you up or I tore you down? No, it was your way. You know, I'm conflict driven. You know exactly what to do to somebody like me because of where I came from. You said, you know, Ida, all of these guys in here, they don't think you can hang. You remember that? You, she was there. You were like, you don't, you don't think, she, they don't think you can hang. They think you're going to go out there and you're just going to eat it. And tell them what I said after that. Yeah, no, but you were like, but I know. I know you got it and I know you can do it. That's right. But then you were like, but they don't think so. And I went out there and I was like, not today. And <laughs> the word in the great words of Arya Stark. And then afterwards you were like, eh, I knew you could do it. <laughs> I wanted you to know that just because people shake your hand and hug you and make you feel like you belong. That doesn't mean that they think you belong. Oh, I know. I learned it. so that. I wanted to just let you know that this is your time. You did. And I... But I maybe I didn't say it in the way you thought I should have said it. And, and afterwards, I said something to you that was kind of funny. I don't know if you probably don't remember this or whatever, but the first thing I said to you before I said that, I said... Listen, don't worry, there'll be other sets. Yeah, you did. You did say that to me. <laughs> because but, you killed so hard, it was just such a joke that it was like, don't worry, there'll be other sets. It's like, because you crushed it you'll so bet your mom next week. But you know what's funny? <laughs> it was, um, I took it with me, though, because uh, comedians don't have um, someone in the, on the, in the corner on the ring for them a lot of times. And at that moment, I didn't. And so Marcus King was late, remember? He's always late. He was supposed to be there. And now he was your manager at the time. He, no, he wasn't my manager, but he's always been like a mentor to me. Oh. And he was like, I'm going to, you know, he was like, I'll be there. And he was late. And then so you were the one that was like, go get him. And um, so Keith Robinson says to me, you know, eh. And, uh, and then when I go downstairs, Hannibal Barris is on stage so I'm like oh, really God and um, I just said you know what I'm gonna do me and I went on stage and I felt it and um, I had a really good set and SD waited for me because they were like if she walks out before you're done 
you know, they were just trying to give me all these things to scare me. Like Keith was just like, you know, if she if she if she touches her head while you want, but they were just messing with me, right? So she waited for me to get off stage. She held my hand, walked me up upstairs, and had this yellow index card. And she said, "Congratulations." She wrote her email address. She said, "Start submitting your appeals." And I sat at the table with her, and I wouldn't let go of her hand. And I just sat there and I was like, I did it, you know? Now the work begins. Cause now I, so mind you, my first set on that stage was after Hannibal Burris. My second set was after Dave Attell. Um, my third set, uh, th then it got normal. And then I go into the cellar one day, I'm sitting down at a table and Louis standing over my shoulder. Louis CK. Louis CK. And Louis says to uh, Esty, Esty, who's next? And uh, she goes, Ida's next. And he goes, um, she's like, you want to go before or you want to go after? He's like, um, I'll go after her. And I was like, yes. And then he said, scratch that. I'm going to go in front of her. And he said, and then when after you go up, I'm going to watch your set. And you better <laughs> bomb. He said, you better not bomb? <laughs> yes. And he said, and I'm going to crush it. And... Um, I went, I was so nervous. I went downstairs to see Louis while he was on stage. He was destroying that. He was, it was that last special that he did. And then um, I got to go on stage. And then I go on stage and I have a really good set. And I look out, he's not in the audience. And I'm walking off the thing. And I'm like, what an asshole. You know, he said, and he was sitting on the steps listening to my set. And he was like, I said, I thought you left. He said, oh, I told you I was going to watch your set. He said, I can't watch it in there. I'm Louis C.K. <laughs> so then he walked upstairs with me and I said, what'd you think? He said, you're one of the comedians. I don't want to quit. And the, everybody around me was like, you don't understand. That's a really big compliment for him. And he was like, how long have you been doing stand-up? I said, eight years. And he laughed. It was a guttural laugh. And he was like... <laughs> He said, you're not going to get started till you hit 15. He said, but good job. And every time he would come into that cellar, he would always say hello to me. And everybody was like, it's so weird because he doesn't, he's a weirdo. He doesn't talk to people. He would always make eye contact with me and say hello. So I, I felt like he saw me. My first client ever. Is that right? 18 years old. Wow. Brilliant. Brilliant guy changed my life in a lot of ways wow all right i want to go way way back let's go take me back to where you grew up what the economic social dynamic was mm -hmm. and what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy business so um you know i was born in boston massachusetts Never heard of that thing. Yeah, it's so funny because people would send me messages when Donald Trump went one saying, guess who's getting deported? And I was like, <laughs> not me. <laughs> but I was born in Boston. Um, and then I moved to the Dominican Republic with my parents. My my father was um, deported because he was from the Dominican Republic. And then... He was deported. Why? Because he wasn't. He was an illegal immigrant. But so. there were a lot of illegal immigrants. Yeah, but they got that one. And your mom was from where? My mom is Puerto Rican, so she's a citizen. 
she was a sibling. So I'm an anchor baby. So we moved to the Dominican What's Republic. What's an anchor baby? An anchor baby is babies that immigrants have in America so that they can have citizenship. That's what they're considered. That's a, it's a derogatory term um, that uh, some politician came up with. Or, never, never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. I don't have much in Malibu. <laughs> but <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> so I got, they got deported. My mom and my dad broke up. My mom stole me from my dad, moved me back to the States, changed she my She stole name. you from your dad. Yeah, I was like, not without my daughter. We, we left the Dominican Republic, moved to Miami. Were you the only child? Yeah. And uh, she changed my name. So, uh, and he was deported, so he couldn't come. So I grew up in Miami, Florida. So you never saw your dad? No, he found me on Facebook. and uh, How long ago? Uh, it's been about eight years now, maybe eight or nine years. And um, so you didn't resent him because she took your mom took him away from you. He didn't have a choice. I didn't resent either of them because my mom was really young when she had me. How old was she? She was sixteen. So I felt like I didn't. So. How the, old were you when you had your first child? I'd rather not say. Okay. Sorry. Uh, That's what everything's for. Don't worry about it. We don't want to continue the cycle and we don't want to encourage it. Um, So in other words, you tell your daughter. I remember when my mom sat me down with my sister when I was a teenager. She said, listen, Barry, I'm not worried about you. I said, why are you worried about me? I'm worried about her. Why are you worried about her? Because with her, I got to worry. With you, I don't have to worry. I said, you're not explaining yourself, Mom. What is it? She said, with you, Barry, I only have to worry about one penis. With her? All of them. Yes. Yeah. How do you get her to break the cycle? She broke it. She broke the cycle uh, beyond my most, my wildest dreams. She went there and and then some. Um, Graduated from school with honors. Um, And she graduated from UC Davis one of the highest GPAs in her graduating class. Um, I, I, I watched her drive off one day with her friend in the car and I started crying because I was like, I never experienced that. I had a baby, I, um, I was married by the time I was 23. I, I had two kids married and I was just like, I never knew what that was. That was, what she did was, she was my role model, you know, and uh, she broke the cycles and in so many ways that I'm in awe of her. She's special. They both are, my son as well. They're in awe of you. Yeah, they're people in our relationship. People mock us because we really, we call ourselves a, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> That's our group name on chat, on, on, on text, but they just, you know, they, they, uh, they watched what happened and they took notes and they said we're going to do it different and differently and they did awesome so you're in miami you're how old um i got back to miami for school because um, i learned spanish in the dominican republic and i started school in miami and then my mom fell in love with a man who ended up killing somebody and then we were on the run with him hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience 
after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. So we move to... Okay, let's, let's go back here. <laughs> so your mom meets a guy. How old are you? Um, I had to be about... Because I, I started school at four, so I was like four, four or five years old. So you didn't know what was going on, really? No. When I was a teenager, I asked my mom. My, my dad passed away when I was four. I used to watch these Perry Mason crime shows. And I don't know what was on my brain, but one day I took her aside. I said, I gotta ask you a question. Let's say dad came home one day and said, Barbara, I killed a man. Please help me. I gotta figure out what to do here. What would you do? Would you, would you turn him in? Mm. Would you tell him, listen, get a great lawyer or I'll support you? What would you do? And shocked the hell out of him. She said, I'd do everything I could to support him and protect him, to make sure that my life stayed together the way it was. That stunned me. Mm. So your mom was the same way. So. Mm -hmm. What happens? Does he purposely commit a murder? Does he have an accident? Like, what happened? It was a self-defense, actually, but he ran. Um, so, uh, and, and, well, they called it self-defense. Uh, he got into an altercation with a man. A man pulled the gun on him. He didn't use it. He took the gun from the man and shot the man and killed him. And then ran. And that was what was the problem. And so your mom, you, and that guy are fugitives now. Where does she go? New York, where all the fugitives go. <laughs> is, that, is that where all the fugitives go? I didn't know that. <laughs> that I don't know. There's so much all going right, on. So in you're New in New York, and what is he doing for a living? Or is he. Uh... He. I don't know. I, that's a good question, Barry. I don't know. I need to ask uh, my mom that. But we were living in a motel. And in New York City. In New York City, and um, in Washington Heights. And, you know, that's when my grandmother and my uncle uh, started talking to people because Puerto Ricans all have people in New York. They found out where I was. They did a stakeout. They watched my mother. My mother left me with a babysitter. My grandmother came and got me. She cut all my hair off. So your grandmother stole you from your mom. mom. So karma comes full circle with your 100%. mother. Your mother steals you from your dad and now is it her mother or the... No, it's, it's, it's my mom's mom. So your mom's mom turns things around and takes you away from her own daughter, cuts your hair, and brings you where? To Miami. She, she takes me back to... So your mom comes home that night. And I'm not there. And she doesn't know what happened with the babysitter. The babysitter told her that this aggressive lady came and took me. And so your mom has no idea where you are. You're how old? Um, I'm, I'm five. Five. And when your mom talks to your mom, is she pretending like she doesn't know where you are? No, she finds out uh, where I am. She calls my, my grandmother and um, 
she was crying and she was like, you know, um, what, you know, how could you take her from me? And, you know, she was very emotional. And my grandmother was like, um, she said, you better bring her back. And my mom was like, my grandmother was like, what are you going to do? Call the police. And so uh, she knew that my mom was in a tough spot because that's the reason why she didn't call the police herself because she didn't want to endanger me and she didn't want to put my mom in a situation because she thought my mom would get arrested for harboring a fugitive. So your grandmother starts raising you in Miami. Mm -hmm. Who's in the house with your grandmother? My uncle. My uncle is her, is her accomplice, my uncle who died, my uncle Raymond. Your uncle being her? Brother. You're your mom's brother? Yeah. Okay. So they raise you. They, they start raising me. Okay. And so you're there with them. You grow up with them. Until I'm only there for a year. Uh, and then, my and mom then, comes back. Your mom comes back, takes you. Is the guy gone? Who was he the went future? to jail. Yeah. He, he went, went to, to jail. Yeah, he got So where's your mom living then? In Miami with my grandmother. She comes back. And so now all three of you are living in the same house. Oh, it's more than three of us. It's my mom, my, uh, my grandmother, her husband, and uh, two of my uncles, my mother and, and me. Got it. And you're there with them for how long? Uh, that was my family that raised me. Got it. So you go through high school. Uh, no, no. Then, then my mom, my grandmother is the landlady of this building, and then we move into our own apartment. And then eventually, my mom um, gets involved in another relationship and has uh, her three other children. And this man raises all of us. Do you like him? No. Mm -mm. No. I respect him. I appreciate the fact that he, he was there to raise us, but, you know, he did a lot of horrible stuff to me. Um, he was very verbally abusive, and um, he was he was not good to me. Good practice for the comedy seller. Oh, man. It was all, I took it all on that stage. <laughs> so, what was your first inspiration to want a career in this business? I did not know that. It was Johnny Carson. Um, Johnny Carson. Yeah, I. You know, like when you don't grow no. up with your own father, you fantasize about who your real father is. And I remember that I was like, "That's my father." <laughs> Johnny Carson. <laughs> it was so funny. I also I learned how to speak English watching television, and my uncles used to watch late night television, and I used to sneak. And it was my uncles who that exposed me to comedy. My youngest uncle would listen to Richard Pryor. He loved Richard Pryor. And I used to listen to all that dirty comedy and all that blue comedy. And my uncle Raymond used to love Johnny Carson and David Letterman. But I was always exposed to comedy. And I used to take the, the mop and the broomstick and I would perform my, my shticks for my mom. How old were you? I was five, six, seven years old. And my mom said that I, cause they, they were Bible people, church people. And my mom said I would take the Bible and I would read uh, scriptures from the Bible, turn them into jokes. Wow. All right. So what's your first thing that you do that's a sign that you're in the entertainment business or you're trying to be in the entertainment business? What's the first 
thing that happens. Oh man. The, the first thing. I was a performing arts kid. The first thing I did was I sang the body electric <laughs> from fame um, in elementary school. Okay. At a school, at a school uh, performance, I did a show. All right, so let's go past the school. Let's go into the real world. What's your first thing you do? I got discovered as a model um, when I was 14 years old. A, a talent, a scout came to my mom, and I was with my grandmother and said, "She's this is a model." Right, so you start modeling, you make money during modeling? Yeah. Got um, it, so now you have your own money. Yeah, I was making money, I was doing uh You making more money than your mom? Yeah, yeah. I was make. I was doing shows, I was doing department store runway shows. Um, I did a cover for a hair magazine. And you know what was funny though, that I hated it. I absolutely hated it. You hated the other girls? No, I just hated modeling. I hated, you hated the drugs and the sex and the scandal? Oh, I never participated in the drugs and the How scandal. You, why? I just, I was a Bible, I was raised, you know, the, the Bible with the religion. But I just, I've always been like, I was just like, I'm not using my brain. I was always the funniest person there, always making cracking jokes, doing all, and I just hated it, but I was good at it. Okay, so now what's your first time doing stand-up comedy? Like, what happens? Years later. I'm, um, I am, I meet Speedy, who rolls with uh, Jamie Foxx. My friend Leah is having her birthday party, and she calls me and says, Hey, I want you to roast me. I'm, unbeknownst to me, she went to school with Chris Spencer. She asked Chris Spencer to come and roast her. I go up first and then Chris Spencer goes up after me. Chris Spencer comes to me after the roast and says, I don't know if you know this, but you're a comic. And I was like, I'm not a comic. You know, I'm just a mom or whatever. He was like, nope, you're a comic. And he said, I want you to start going to the Westwood Brewing Company. And um, I want you to go start learning how to build a set and just go start going and doing the open mics. And I did it. I just went and I was like, okay. So I go to, um, while I'm doing that, I run into Speedy and Speedy says, hey, Jamie Foxx has started this um, thing called the Foxhole It's Serious. Um, and he said, we had, a, we had this argument. He's like, I want you to come do the radio show. So I go do the radio show. And then I do the radio show a few weeks later and he was like, you're a comedian. He's like, I'm doing this show. Marcus King and I were laughing about this the other day. He said, I'm doing this show in Phoenix, Arizona with Bernadette Stannis, who is Thelma from Good Times. So we go to Arizona. They said, we, he said, we want you to come do a set. I have no idea what a set is at this point. I know what a set is, but not how to put a set together, right? I, I know a great set. I could quote them all. I know everybody. I go to Arizona. 5,000 people. It's like a, a small theater. Your first gig is 5,000 people. They fly me out. They paid me $500, my very first gig. And then I go on stage. I wear this, I remember this black dress with pink and yellow stripes and these high heels. I have my hair done. I have all this makeup. My Doing my greatest impression of what I think a comedian is. I go up. 
That's the day I learned how long five minutes really are. <laughs> and I, uh, I had a good set. And everybody I know who is a comedian says, you always have a first good set. It's that adrenaline that just drives you. It's the second set that lets you know what what it really is. I had I had a good set. I learned what crowd work was because I was just I was just like I they laughed and it was you know all right here's another one. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me because then they were there pooky. Uh, I go to Chocolate Sundays. And Chris Spencer's there, and they have this thing called First Impressions where the new comedians go up and do three minutes. And um, my friend Leah, wh whose birthday party I was at, is friends with Pookie, and she says, hey, put Ida up. She's really funny. And Pookie's like, she's not ready. And uh, she's like, they go back and forth. And, uh, and I'm like, of course I'm ready. What are you talking about? I go on stage. It's my second time on stage at Chocolate Sundays. My first joke hits, I get cocky. And I say, who's not ready, motherfucker, to Pookie? He's standing right across from me on the stage. And at that very moment, I proceed to eat as many dicks as you can imagine. <laughs> she was there. I bombed so bad that they had to scrape me off of the ground. They had to come and collect me. And that was the day when I said, I want to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> How many times do you like have your hand smashed with a wooden mallet and say, you know, I'd like to do that again? I don't, it, that's when I knew I was What did ready. Pookie say to you after that? He just laughed in my face. <laughs> what did you say to him? Uh, I got a lot to learn, but I'm a, I said I'm not going to quit though. I, you know, Cause he was like, how do you feel? And I was like, I felt that was the moment where I was like, I gotta crack this nut. This is, that felt like home. And it was, even bombing felt like home. Like I was like, oh, this is what I was supposed to be doing. One, two, Six degrees of separation. All right, six degrees of separation. I'm gonna mention some names. You could tell me a short story, you could tell me a sentence, anything that comes to mind that, that means something to you. Dave Chappelle. Hero. Dream board. Ooh. So my dream board started when I started... Um, now some people don't even know what a dream board is, so... So I started reading and um, learning about metaphysics because I wanted to, um, I felt like there, I, I had learned earlier on that there was something called, something about your subconscious programming. I just didn't know what that was because I grew up super religious and I was, I was raised to believe that relying on something else was what would get me there. And then um, I was really smart as a kid. I read a lot and I remember thinking to myself, well, if God made me in God's image and, and that, that makes me God, and then I would be getting, I would get in trouble because that's blasphemy. So I started reading. Um, I started with Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill's book, and then I was like, oh, that the power is in me, and visualization is very important. So um, before I, the concept of a dream board became a popular thing, I would always write. I have uh, I chronicle. I have so many journals. I would always write what I wanted to see come to pass. 
And then I was like, I'm gonna add a visual component to this. Like, what kind of car do you want? Like, what you say you want a, a better car than this clunker? Like, what is it? So I started like cutting out pictures and putting them in like a a, a composition notebook. And then I read about uh, what a dream board was or a vision board. And then I started making the exercise. Uh, this exercise because I, I used to practice with my children we every year at the end of the year we sit down and we do goals and so we do three month goals six month goals and then the year goals and so um, we started adding the visual component to them and so my first dream board was some bullshit <laughs> what I thought I wanted and what I thought I wanted and then as I started evolving as a human being I started realizing that what I thought I wanted was just to to fill the void but what i really wanted what i really was seeking was fulfillment roseanne bar roseanne bar unapologetically her taylor hackford hey taylor hackford he's married to the dame funny story i was at the cellar um and uh, Jeff Ross comes up to me and says, hey, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going downstairs to perform for some industry people. He was like, um, I'm not going to bump you because it's a very, uh, you know, he's like, I got this. Everybody was bombing that night, which is rare because at the cellar, that doesn't really happen. Right. So everybody, it was just a rough night. So then Jeff Ross comes back and says, I'm gonna have to bump you. <laughs> he was like, I'm so sorry, but I'm gonna have to bump you because it's getting worse. Uh, he does his set. I don't know what happens. I think he leaves. I go up second to last. I had a really good set, right? Um, I go home. I, uh, I go to Israel to go on this trip and uh, my phone rings. And my phone rings and it's Taylor Hackford. I didn't know who Taylor Hackford was at the time. Why, I knew, why don't you tell our audience who Taylor Hackford is? Taylor Hackford directed An Officer and a Gentleman. Ray, um, he he's directed, I mean, it, it, the list goes on, but brilliant, brilliant director and had just uh, directed Ray with Jamie Foxx, who we won awards for, right? I didn't know, I knew who Taylor Hackford was, but it didn't resonate when he called me. I was in Israel, I pick up the phone, and he goes, Ida, because he, he knew I was Latin and he started speaking to me in Spanish. And, you know, he, we have this banter that we still have. So I go, um, yeah, he's like, this is Taylor. He said, listen, I'm doing this little movie. And um, I saw you at the cellar the night that Jeff Ross was there. And me and Bob thought you were just amazing. I said, oh, Taylor, that's so sweet. But I'm in Israel and my phone is roaming. <laughs> And I said, I get back on the 21st. Can I call you when I get back? And he was like, he laughs. He's like, no, I'll call you back. On, on the 21st, when I'm landing at the airport at LAX, I turn my phone on. And as soon as I turn my phone on, my phone rings. And I, at that point, now I know who Taylor, Hackford, who Taylor is because my rep told me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He was like, no, that's why I called you back. You know, he was like, I actually loved it. And um, I said, when you said Bobby, were you talking about Robert De Niro? <laughs> he was like, I was talking about. 
So he and Robert De Niro were in the audience that night, of that rough night, and I when I had that set at the cellar, and that's when he said, I want to put her in The Comedian. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. And sometimes, so the audience knows, Aida was wondering why it was a rough night at the Comedy Cellar. The Comedy Cellar is a room that's like the size of a Ritz cracker. So you put an iconic, legendary celebrity like Robert De Niro in there, and crowds get tight. Robert De Niro's here, and they don't, their natural impulses leave them. And even though they're enjoying the show, they're not verbalizing it because the air is out of the room because you put an iconic celebrity in there who everyone can see and keeps looking back at uh -huh. and pretending like, okay, let me catch a glimpse of him when he's not, and you're not focused on the stage. Robert De Niro in the Comedy Cellar was like your yellow dress on Last Comic Standing. Yeah. The Keenan Ivory Williams. So now I know what, now I know. I, you know, I, I had been, when I tell you that everybody was like, what the fuck? And to find out later that you never know who's in that audience. You never know who sees you. And every time I get a job, it's because somebody saw me in the place where I never thought anybody would see me. And um, Greatest lesson you could ever have. And I tell you, when I did the taping for the, for the comedian, we did a live show. And I bombed really bad. It was horrible because Robert was supposed to perform and he had been taping all day. He got tired and didn't. And the audience had been waiting outside for two hours in the cold. So when they got in there and then he, then, uh, you know, Jim Norton goes on stage and says that Robert De Niro is not going to perform. I, I had a really bad set. It was a, probably one of the worst sets I ever had in my life. That's a great thing. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Robert De Niro is not going to perform tonight, but your next act is. Please <laughs> we welcome don't know Ida Rodriguez. They don't know me. And, um, and it was so bad that the next, I had to, I left the set, got on a plane, and then went to go do LOL in San Antonio to add insult to injury, <laughs> a club where 12 people would show up. 
And when I got to San Antonio, I called Taylor to apologize for my bad performance. And he said to me, Ida, he was like, this is a movie, not a comedy show. I booked you because I want it real. And I, I, um, I, you know, he was like, I love you. He said, that was a great testament to how racist and how sexist some audiences can be. He said, you don't have to apologize to me. He's like, I'm sorry that you went through that. And I was so like, what? You know, because to me, I, was, I bombed. I had a bad set. And then he said, I'll let you know what happens. And I just looked at it the other day on New Year's Eve. I looked at the email when he sent me to, to let me know that my that I made the movie, that I made the cut. And he was like, you're my girl. And um, I did a screening with Robert De Niro and him here at CAA. And Robert De Niro came up, because I didn't get a chance to see him during the taping. We were there at different times. He came up to me. He's like, you're that funny girl. He was like, I like you. And I was like, oh. He took a selfie with me and everything. It was so. Taylor Hackford is the guy. Awesome. Kidnapping. <laughs> I did it. I, it's happened twice. Top that. Puerto Rico. Hey, listen. Puerto Rico is the mecca when it comes to someone like me. I love that island. It's beautiful and it's filled with people who look like me and everything else under the sun. And um, I bleed uh, Puerto Rican. And right now my heart is with Puerto Rico because they just had another catastrophe, the, earth, the, the um, earthquake. And- um, Well, I'm sure our president will take care of them. Mm, yeah, bounty fixes a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that way before. Russell Peters. Russell Peters. Um, Russell Peters is one of the most giving people I've ever met in my life. When my son went to college, he said, meet me at the Cheesecake Factory. I met him because he couldn't make the dinner. He hands, he tosses over a bag. We open the bag and it's a brand new laptop, a Mac computer, I, Pro, Mac Pro. And it was like, Tell the kid I said he better not fuck up. It was always like that. He would give me, he likes to collect uh, greeting cards. He would give me, he pranks. He gives me a, a greeting card that has something ridiculous in it. And then it'll have $3,000 in it in Canadian money. And I'll be like, <laughs> and he was like, go to the exchange, bitch. That's what you do. But in his own way, um, always, um, Seeing about comedians in his community, he knows all the comics, even the ones nobody else knows. He's truly the most generous person I've ever met. I remember when Jay Chris Newberg toured with him, and they were just walking around the neighborhood, wherever it was, and they were walking through stores, and they walked through a, a watch store, and Russell was just watching him look at a watch, seeing what he liked, mm -hmm. and at the end of the tour, he had gotten him the watch. Oh, wow. I never got a watch. I know the guy got a watch, but Russell Peters flew me home and my two children from my grandmother's funeral because I couldn't, I didn't have any money. So, I, I can't even begin to express, like, he's, 
and it's it's not it's never it doesn't come with a lot of complications that ah, it's always a joke send me the names of you and the kiddos he calls my daughter's my daughter the banana because her name means banana in hindu and he's like i got it amazing louis ck complicated it's complicated you can't take away a lot of people i they won't think pieces about me because i i i because of what I said about Louis after his controversy. Refresh um, our audience's memory what you said. So I was at the cellar one night and a, a reporter from, a, a journalist from Hollywood Reporter interviewed me and asked me, did I think Louis C.K. was coming back? And um, I said, yeah. And then they were like, um, and I said, well, and if he comes back, I hope that he uses his voice to educate the people who follow him because I can't I, they I can't speak to that crowd they don't they're not listening to me if anybody can help change the culture when it comes to those issues is him because he has a big following so I hope he uses his platform and um, but who am I to say that you know why are you asking me do I think Louis CK can, is, is he coming back like I have power <laughs> I was like what is it Jezebel slay all these think pieces about me being a, an apologist I was raped. I am not a rape apologist. I don't have Stockholm Syndrome. I just live in the real world. There is a big gap between a rapist and someone who does inappropriate things and everything in between. I don't know where Louis lies on that spectrum, but who am I to make to be the decider of that? You know, that's why you have judges and courts. And I, I, I stand on the front line for women every day. But for me to say that I know the answers about if a white man in the entertainment business, probably one of the best comedians in the game, is going to come back, the, pro the answer is probably yes. And whether you like it or not, that's my answer. And so it was so annoying because it was people who, you know, sit behind a desk and write all these damn, you know, articles and all this bullshit that don't, they, they're, they're not even thinking about me. And so it was really, really hard for me to, for a moment, if you go on Twitter, you can look it up. They wrote articles and they, they trashed me. And I was like, oh, you know, way to go with your feminism. Like use this opportunity to drag a woman of color down because she said he probably is gonna come back. And even still, I still think he was a funny, one of the best comedic minds. I think that he has always said who he is in his stand-up, and I, 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 I don't think what he did was appropriate. I don't know what he did. I wasn't in that room or in those rooms. I do believe women, but is I believe I can fly a great song? Yes. Um, was R. Kelly's behavior egregious? Yes. Um, was Roman Polanski a good director? I mean, though, though it's complicated because I'm an artist and I'm flawed. And though I, I believe women and I stand for them and I'm here, I'm not, I can't shit on somebody's art and say the art is no good, even if the person is. Tiffany Haddish. Hey! <laughs> Tiffany Haddish. Um, Tiffany is... Tiffany and I have had so many common experiences with, from our mothers to raising our siblings to our upbringing and our struggle. 
somebody I met when I first started um, doing stand-up who embraced me and we became friends. When I did last comic standing, Tiffany was doing Funniest Wins on TBS. And uh, we would talk every day. And um, we, we made a pact that whoever went would throw the rope back. And both of us thought we were gonna go because we were on TV. <laughs> and, um, you know. When you say throw the rope back, what do you mean? Go, go back and get the other one. And so time went on, we did those shows, she started working. She, I think her career changed when she did the Arsenio Hall show. When she did her set and then Tyler Perry saw her, she did this Tyler Perry show, then, you know, Key and Peele saw her and, and when she made it, she threw the rope back. And she gave me my Netflix special. And uh, that changed my life too. Your proudest moment in show business? My proudest moment in show business was when I was on Last Comic Standing in the yellow dress. I look over to the right. My two children are standing up and they saluted me because I had a really good set and they were proud of me. It was like my parents. David Himmelfarb was sitting right next to them. I love David Himmelfarb. Same. Great producer. Produced my wife and kids with Don Rio and Damon Wayans. All right, your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. You know, I think it was um, selling a TV show and nothing ever happening. Um, I sold a TV show to Critical Content and they bought um, my show or they optioned my story for a year. And I really thought like, oh, I'm gonna do a TV show. I'm gonna get a TV show. And it was, nothing happened. And I just woke up one day and I realized that a year passed by and nothing happened. And, um, it was, because um, it was like, you gotta meet with writers and we gotta find a showrunner. It was what really um, motivated me to go write and say, next time you're in a room and they say, we gotta go find you a writer, that's not gonna be acceptable. You are a writer. And so it just made me um, go create multiple ideas for different TV shows so that I can sell instead of just sitting and waiting on that one show. Like, this is the show. And there, you don't know what the show is gonna be, you know? You gotta be Whitney and have two broke girls. And that is how you live in Malibu. I remember that well. Representing her and having her have three television shows on the air yeah. in one quarter of a year. In the last quarter of that year, that was incredible. Hard worker, incredible, inspirational comedian. Yeah, she Amazing. Is. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in two different areas of the world, pulled apart by their family, kidnapped twice, experienced so much hardship, rape, homelessness, who's out there in the world listening, who can move past it and how do they get to that point where they get past all that drama and have the kind of amazing career that you're having when i was a little girl and i lived in the hood my mom used to walk me to school because i didn't have a car i went to uh 
Comstock Elementary School, my third grade teacher, Mrs. Flanagan, who used to turn red when she would get mad and would tell my mother, Ida just talks and talks and talks, said to me, readers are leaders. And always reminded me that my way out was through reading. I read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle when I was a very young kid. And um, that book changed my life because it opened my mind and my world up to I am going to read everything. And I say reading, and as passive as that may sound, reading is how I learned about metaphysics. Reading, reading is how I learned about therapy. Reading is how I learned about sexual abuse and how it's not your fault. Reading is how I learned about stocks and bonds. Reading is how I learned how to find whatever I needed to get the help that I needed. So what I would encourage someone to do is, you're always gonna hear voices because there are always people around you talking, but settle into a book. And every book that you read, it's a lesson in life for you. And seek the information from the people who have worked on, who are the experts, because everybody thinks they're an expert. So what I did was, I read my way through it all. And, um, that is where I found my power and my voice. So start with a book and then write your own. Awesome. Aina, I always want to tell you something. There's times in every area of your life where there's something you're doing and you think, well, how is this going to be? Is it going to be okay? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be great? Is it going to be excellent? Is it going to be extraordinary? And I wanted to share with you that you're extraordinary and this interview exceeded all of my expectations. And let me tell you something, my dear. Sadly, within my head, I have pretty fucking high expectations. I'm just blown away by you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Me Too LA 2019. I hope not. December 20th, 2019. Heading reads Bravo, five stars, and the comment reads Another year, no one else like you out there! Exclamation point. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, Me Too LA 2019. You are a winner. I just wanted to let you know if you ever want to get a gift for somebody special, you can do so at our merch store at berrycats.com. We have a ton of shirts in many different colors with a plethora of the most impactful quotes from the podcast that have resonated with you throughout the years. I know you're going to like them a lot. They're really, really special and of the highest, highest quality. 
And it's a special gift from me to you for any item you choose. You can take an extra $5 off by just typing in the promo code Barry. So just go to BarryCats.com to the store. Check it out. I know you won't be disappointed. And have a great, great holiday season. As you know, I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison, just got out. We have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews, along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos, your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to iKillJFK.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, you will be blown away. To quote one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? IKillJFK.com. Check it out. Dennis Rodman. You gotta look at your vision and say, well, if I can make if I can't make the NBA, maybe I can make the D League, maybe I can go make the European League, maybe I can make this league. But as long as you know that you can actually play in a league that has maybe from C to A, hey, you made it. To me, you made it. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.